Well, if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to pick it up. We're going through the book of Genesis, and we find ourselves in chapter 17. Now, this is an interesting chapter. Lots of things go on here. We find Abram's name changing from Abram to Abraham, father of many nations. We find Sarah's name changing from contentious and uh, to really that of of um, princess. So kind of neat when we really study God's word. Well, let's look at this as we study God's word together. Last week, we left off in chapter 16. And in chapter 16, we remember that because there was a promise made to Abraham that he'd be the father of a great nation, yet he was very old. And because of his age, he didn't figure out how God could do this. So we remember that he went and Sarah offered to Abraham her handmaiden, Hagar. Well, we don't find any argument coming from, from Abraham on that. He took her to wife, and the Bible says that she conceived and bore a son uh, called Ishmael. Now, Ishmael um, was also a promised child as well. And again, he's the father of the Arab uh, race of people. And um, this idea that they would somehow figure out how God was going to do this, well, they're still having peace negotiations right now in the Middle East over this. But as we look at this together, we're going to find some interesting things that happen here to not only Abraham and Sarah, but to Ishmael as well. And so as we look at the last couple of verses, last two verses of chapter 16, we find here, So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar born Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So he was getting pretty old, but the best is yet to come. When we get into chapter 17, we find when Abraham was 99 years old. Now, there was a 13-year period of time between chapter 16 and chapter 17. We don't find that God was talking to him on a regular basis or anything like that. And I think that's important because I think a lot of times when we read the Bible, we, we think that God's going to uh, speak to us daily, out loud, like he did to Abraham or, or uh, uh, Moses or, or even Noah. But the case is those, those times were, were fairly rare in the Bible. We look at it as if all happened in one day, but actually it was over a period of time that that happens. Now, why is that important? Well, I believe that if you're a Christian watching this today, God has directly spoken to you. People say, well, I've never heard God's voice. Well, as a matter of fact, if you're a Christian, you did. When you heard that Jesus died on the cross for you, that your sins could be forgiven, that you didn't have to live in the, in the torment of your past, that God's, as King David said, his promises are new every morning. Well, an amazing thing happens. You're a new creature in Christ. Well, why that's important as we look at this is that you heard God's voice saying, this is for you. Jesus is for you. And that's why you responded to the message of the gospel. So if you're a Christian, you have heard God's voice. When you understood that voice inside of your, your conscience said, you need to do this, you heard God's voice. That's one of the reasons why I think it's so important that when we hear God's voice, we respond to it. 
Well, in this particular case, 13 years went past after God had made all these promises of you, I'm going to make a great nation, all these things and, and everything. Now, almost a hundred years old. And by the way, it's never too late for God's promises at 99 years old. God speaks to Abram. And this is what he says. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Now, El Shaddai, this is uh, our, our, our God, uh, the almighty God. He says, walk before me and be blameless. You know, I think people can blame you for a lot of things. Well, that's okay, just as long as it ain't true. See, and that's one of the things. That's what gossip does. Gossip always tries to blame things on people that they didn't do or half-truths or all those kinds of things that enter into the picture, not really knowing the whole circumstance, the whole story, and yet people come to conclusions that simply aren't true. And so oftentimes we find ourselves blamed for things we didn't do. But God here says to Abram, walk before me and be blameless. I think that's a good thing because the idea of walking before God implies that what you do in your life is in God's full view. In other words, God sees it all. And that's okay. And I think if we as Christians realize that in our personal lives, God sees everything. And the second thing is that God loves you, that God provides for you. And I think that's so important when we understand that everything we do God sees it all. And so he says, verse 2 here, he says, I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. So again, this promise of, of a great heritage, when really to this point, all that Abram had seen was just a bondwoman, Hagar, bearing him a son named Ishmael. But remember, God sees things a lot differently than you and me do. And we always want to remember that because if the only viewpoint of life in your life that you have is yours, well, you're going to find yourself pretty, pretty uh, uh, disillusioned with everything. God has a different vantage point than you do. Even in, when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, our Father, which art in heaven. <clears throat> Why is that important? God's got a heavenly view of your life. You only have an earthly view. God sees all sides at the same time. I can only usually see one. And so by really understanding that we have a God, first of all, that loves us, second of all, it's going to provide for us. Well, the thing is that changes the way we live our lives. And so verse three, it says, then Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, or spoke to him saying, now, why did Abraham fall on his face? Well, I think there's a lot of things that can cause that. One might just be fear. You, you, you're just overwhelmed at the presence of God. Another might be, maybe he was ashamed. Maybe some of the things he did in those last 13 years maybe weren't too, weren't too um, um, righteous, if you will. Maybe that's why God had to remind him, walk before me and be blameless. Another possibility is, Maybe it was out of a sheer act of humility that he bowed before the Lord with his face to the ground. But whatever reason it was, we know that in that posture, you're pretty much powerless to do anything. 
But that's where God's power takes over. And notice it says, And God spoke to him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of many nations. Now, this is interesting to me, because we know he's the father of the Jewish nation, the first Jew. But we also know that the promise here that he would be the father of many nations, and thus we add in then the Arab nations as well. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. Notice God says, I have made you. Not I will make you, I have made you. Remember, God dwells in all times present. I like that about God. Revelation 22, it says, he's Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and the last. Why does it say that? Well, because God lives in all times. I don't know anything like that. Like I've shared many times before, when I go to the store, I try to get the latest date on the milk, or I, I, I look and say, what year is the car, or whatever. Everything I know has a, has a date tied to it. But God's not like that. He sees all things present. And I believe this is why when we study the writings of Paul and the others in the New Testament concerning us, he says, to those who he predestined. Now, that doesn't mean that God made us do what we do, but because God has foreknowledge of everything, he knows the ones that will ultimately choose him and those who will reject him. That doesn't take away your or my moral free agency, our ability to choose. It's just God already knows what we chose. Now, that's pretty neat in a way, because if God already knew what we chose, then he can work the events in my life in the future out to his best benefit, not to mine. See, mine was before I was a Christian. After I'm a Christian, to God be the glory. All things are about him. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he says here, no longer shall your name be called Abram. Now again, God changed his name. Now he's going to be the father of many nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make the nations of you, and the kings shall come from you. And truly they did. Whether we look at even the pharaohs, whether we look at King David, we look at King Saul, we look at these different descendants that all came from Abraham, God was faithful to his promise. And he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you, your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. So God made this promise to not only Abraham, but he wanted to convey to Abraham that he wasn't just for him, but he was for all of his descendants. Now, that's pretty neat. That God does more than we would even ask or think. That's what the Bible says. That's why I want to be extremely careful in limiting God. You know, some face out there say, well, you got to be exact in your prayers because otherwise God could make a mistake. No, God doesn't make mistakes. God does exceedingly far greater than we could ask or think. And so we want to leave our lives in his hands to be the most effective we can be on this earth while we're here for the kingdom of heaven. 
And so he says, I will establish this covenant. Now, notice God is the one establishing the covenant. Abram had to be a willing part for that to happen. But God is the initiator. He always is. Now, this is why I believe while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, because the thing is, God made the first move. And so he says, verse 8, I will also give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Wow. Now that is an amazing statement. This is why I do not believe in what's called replacement theology. In other words, the church has now superseded all the promises that were made to Abraham and the Jewish nation, and now the church is gloriously going to usher in the Messiah. No, I don't believe that. I think as we study this, it's very clear that God made a promise to Abram, not because his descendants were righteous and holy and always did everything God wanted, in fact, they were pretty much rascals. If, if you really look, and in fact, the northern ten tribes of Israel never had one good king. They were all contrary to the heart of God. But God never forgot them. And I think this is an important thing. How much more will God be towards you as his child? You've not chosen to forget him. Oh, we go through struggles and trials and temptations. and We fall and we sin and we do all these different kinds of things. Well, that doesn't mean God's forgotten us. God simply understands us. God realizes that he created us from the dust of the earth. And the book of uh, uh, the epistle of John, chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, he says, but if we sin, we have an advocate or an attorney or a lawyer with the Father, which is Christ Jesus. God knew we were going to mess up. But see, here's the deal. When the nation of Israel had so rejected Jesus as their Messiah, when he'd, they'd so rejected God in the Old Testament, God never forgot them. Oh yeah, he allowed them to be punished because that's one of the problems and that's why sin doesn't do us good, it only hurts us. But God never forgot the nation of Israel. And he said, I'm going to give this land to you and your descendants forever. Isn't it weird today that the Jewish people are back in Israel just as God said they would be in the last days? Exactly a fulfillment of scripture and that Jerusalem would be their capital just as the Bible says it would be. No, God's not forgotten the nation of Israel. God's not replaced Israel for the church. The church is a different group of people, those that are called by his name, faithful, not only Jews, but Gentiles alike. But God made a promise, and this is why this is important. He keeps his promises. I like that about God. And when we look today in the world, there's been no nation in the history of the world that has been lost and decimated for 2,800 years. You see, because when Jesus made those remarks concerning that Jerusalem had be trodden down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled in Luke chapter 21. It was under Roman control. 
It had went from the Mesopotamia and and uh, the Medes and the Persian to uh, to the Greeks, from the Greeks to the Romans, 2,800 years without a country. And then all of a sudden, it becomes a nation again, just as the Bible says. Wow, incredible. And Jewish people are living there. And Jerusalem is a stumbling block, as the Bible says, to the whole world. What are we going to do with it? Well, that's exactly what the Bible says. God keeps his promises. How do I know God's real? Who would have ever predicted that God would said to a, a man, as an example, with only one son and not even the son of his first wife, that of you I'm going to make a great nation. And then through the history of time, the nation would rise and fall and rise and fall and then be gone for 2,800 years and then reappear in 1948 and then completely restored in 1967. Well, that's the God we serve. And if you can't believe in God for any other reason, no, this promise has never happened to any other nation. A country just doesn't disappear for 2,800 years and then reappear with its real people, with its real original language, with its real original capital. Amazing. But that's God. That's how God works. And notice he also says, everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, they may have forgotten God, but God did not forget them. And God said to Abram, now we get down to a little bit of the covenant, and a little bit of what you might call a blood covenant, a little bit of that cutting away of the, of the heart, the foreskin that, that blinds us to the things of God. Notice it says here, God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Now, of course, unfortunately, they didn't do this. And God allowed them to be judged by the Assyrian Empire. They were carried away captive, the two southern tribes, by the Babylonian uh, nation. And But God still never forgot his people. So this is my covenant with you, and you will keep between me and you, your descendants after you, every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and in the, as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Interesting, it's kind of a private part. Your covenant with God is a private thing. Remember that. It doesn't matter what the crowd's doing. It doesn't matter what Hollywood's doing. It doesn't matter if you're the only Christian in your whole classroom, in your whole, in your whole school. The covenant's between you and your God. Now, what made this covenant work for us? What Jesus did for us. He was our living sacrifice. You might say this cutting away of the foreskin, it didn't kill the, the male, but it was a type of a living sacrifice. A lot of people don't understand the importance of this part of the covenant. The Bible tells us that uh, Moses, God commissioned him, burning bush, go set my people free. We know the story. But when we get to Genesis, uh, excuse me, Exodus chapter 4, we find a very unusual thing happen. It says, as he was going to go to Pharaoh, to tell Pharaoh to set his people free, God sought to kill him. I host a radio show called To Every Man and Answer that airs here on CSN Monday through Friday from 
from uh, 4 to 5.30 Mountain Time. This question comes up very often. Why did God seek to kill Moses in Exodus chapter 4 after God had told him to go to Pharaoh to set his people free? Well, it's an interesting thing when we find out why. It seems that Moses had forgotten to circumcise his sons. And this was part of the covenant. Now, why did he not circumcise his sons? Well, there's a fight that breaks out between Moses and Zephora, his wife. She circumcises her sons when he returns back home. God blocked him from going any farther to Pharaoh. He returned back home. A fight breaks out between Zephora and Moses. She circumcises her sons and then takes the foreskins and throws them at Moses. Yeah, you think you've had some crazy fights with you and your spouse? <laughs> read, read Exodus chapter 4. That's some pretty weird stuff there. But why? Why didn't he circumcise his sons? Well, it seems that Zephora was probably not a believer in any way. In fact, she said, you are a bloody husband to me. Wow. It's pretty weird. How was Moses going to stand up to the king of the world at that time, Pharaoh in Egypt, and say, let my people go when he wouldn't stand up to his own wife over a covenant that God made with his forefather, Abraham? You see, I find that a lot of times if we fail in the small areas, we can't expect the power to be in the big areas. In other words, we need to address what is first, first. How are we going to, to uh, get around certain habits in our life when we will tolerate those habits? Somebody said to me, Mike, I want to stop smoking. I said, stop buying them. I want to stop drinking. Stop buying a bottle. I want to stop, I want to stop smoking dope. Stop, <laughs> don't hang out with your drug dealer anymore. You see, that's the thing. There's steps of faith that we take. But remember this, the lack of victory in the small things will prevent us from going on to greater things. This is something we always have to understand. And so because he would not stand up to his wife and circumcise his sons, he would have never really been able to stand up to Pharaoh, the king of the world, and say, let my people go. As we read on here, you're going to see how important this covenant was. Because it wasn't just for your sons. As a matter of fact, it was for anybody under the roof of your household. And Moses knew this. And yet, it's interesting that negating it denied him the power that he needed to eventually stand before Pharaoh until this was corrected. Now he says, Circumcise every male child among you shall be circumcised, and he shall be circumcised in the flesh of their foreskins, and it will be a sign of a covenant between me and you. 
He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation, in your generation, he who is born in your house or brought with, bought with money from a stranger who is not your descendant. So it means everyone under the roof of your house. He who is born in your house, he who is brought to you by with money must be circumcised. My covenant will be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus took on the form of human flesh and died for us? You begin to realize that this is much more than just kind of an unusual ritual. But it is a picture of how God was desiring to reveal his covenant to his people to reflect that which Jesus Christ would ultimately do. Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are actually which testify of me. So when we look in the pages of the Bible, we, we will find picture types of Jesus, sometimes even Christophanies, pictures of where Jesus actually appeared probably to to um, like the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and there was a fourth in the fiery furnace like unto the Son of God or the Son of Man. You'll find uh, Joshua meeting an angel, but this was no regular angel. This was actually Jesus. You'll find this through the Scripture. Well, he goes on and he says, And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now you begin to understand the transgression of Moses and why God sought to kill him. Again, that verse, I want to read it again because I believe it's really important. If you're going to do God's will, you're going to, going to have to do all of God's will. Notice, let's read it again. The uncircumcised male at that particular time, which would have been his sons, who are not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people and has broken my covenant. Moses, you can't be breaking God's covenant and trying to set God's people free. You see, that's what that was about. Hope that you might want to put a footnote in your Bible right there. Uh, about Gen uh, Exodus chapter 6, that will help you, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 4. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, uh, Sarah, your wife, you will not call her Sarah, but Sarah shall be your name. Again, she went from contentious to princess. Isn't it funny? Just a letter change in a name can make all the difference of how you're known. Well, that's what happened here. Went from Sari to Sarah, contentious woman, to now a princess. And in fact, she was a princess, princess of many nations, a princess of the Jewish nation, excuse me. And I will bless her also and give you a son by her. Now, you got to remember, she's old, old, way past the time of having children. And God is speaking to to. Abraham, Abraham here in words that he can't believe. Notice it says, and I will bless her and she will be a mother of nations. Kings and people uh, shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed. 
Well, that's a little bit different of falling on your face as we go back to the first part of this study today. Now he's on his face in laughter. Now, what's really sad here, this laughter was probably not laughter of joy, but probably laughter of mockery. And the reason why is because when we read the next few verses, there's a lot of things like that in the Bible that um, if you don't look at the context, you may not get what's really being said. That's why it's always dangerous to just tear a verse out of the Bible, build a theology upon it. It's what the cults do. But, you know, as an example, remember when Jesus appeared to the disciples and he, he said, yeah, have you caught anything? And they said, no, Lord, nothing. We fished all night. And he said, let your net down on the other side of the boat. Oh, like, wow, like that's going to make a big difference. You know, Jesus, you're a rabbi. You're doing that God thing. We're trained, skilled fishermen. Uh, and you come up and have the audacity to tell us the reason we didn't catch any fish last night is we were fishing off the wrong side of the boat. You say, well, how can I say that? Peter said, let down the nets. He let the nets down. And when they brought the nets up, there was a huge catch of fish. Now, you would have think Peter would have said, Lord, this is awesome. Let's start a fishing company together. Peter, Jesus, fishing. No, maybe Jesus, Peter, fishing company. Uh, why don't we start at the, the disciples' fishery? We, we can call it a lot of names. You know what Peter said? Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Why would you say that by letting a net down on the other side of the boat and it catching a huge catch of fish? He let the net down in mockery. That's the only reason why he would say, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. His attitude, his words were embarrassing. And so because of that, we remember that Jesus said, from now on, Peter, you're going to be catching men. You see, Jesus forgave him of his remark. I like that. Jesus understood that sometimes we don't see it right. If you haven't been seeing it right in your relationship with God, Maybe you've been going out trying to light your own fire. Maybe a little bit like uh, like Moses did on his way to Pharaoh and not taking care of domestics. Maybe that might explain why there might not be the power in your life that you want to see there. I mean, we all want power in our life. That's why kids get into witchcraft and people get into that kind of underworld junk is because they're looking for power. Well, the Bible tells us where the power is. It's in God. But there's steps to that power. And God, yes, will endow you with the Holy Spirit. He'll fill you with that power from on high. But to be, to be able to use that power, I believe, is so important. Because if we do not prepare our hearts right, as Moses did not concerning Zephora and his sons, he would have never represented God fully to Pharaoh when he said, let my people go. So as we look at this here, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old 
And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Ah, ah, ah. You know, I've seen a lot of people laugh at God. I've seen a lot of people laugh at God's servants. They've laughed at me. But that doesn't mean that God's laughing at you. And even though people don't always understand what's going on in your life, doesn't mean that God doesn't. And you can't let people take away that joy that comes from God. People always laugh at God. But don't you ever be one of them. You see, we can take God's word because it's true. Verse 18 says, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now, this is interesting because Abraham loved Ishmael. He actually kind of prayed for him right here. Notice it says, God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you will call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. God said, no, it's going to be with Sarah. Wow, Isaac, his name means laughter. Isn't that funny? God made a little pun. You laughed at God, so you're going to name your kid laughter. Now, I think there's that laughter for joy that I think Abram had in Isaac. But I also believe that probably every time he looked at Isaac, he probably remembered when he laughed at God. It's interesting sometimes that God does that. And we know his son, Jacob, we, we remember he uh, was a heel catcher. And he was hiding from his brother for many years. He heard his brother was on his way to get him. And we remember an angel appeared and wrestled with him all night long. Some of you know the story there in Genesis. And wrestled with him. And we remember what happened as the sun was getting ready to come up. Jacob said, I'm not going to let go of you unless you bless me. And he said, well, what is your name? I imagine he looked down and said, Jacob, wasn't a good name, friends. It meant heel catcher. I'm a get your goat kind of guy when you're not looking. That's what the name meant. And God said, well, you know, from now on, you're going to be called Israel. That's where the name Israel came from. You're going to be called Israel, chosen of God. And then the Bible says something that is amazing. God touched his hip and it went out of joint. And he limped from that day on. Now, I believe that God's touch generally is a healing touch. But here in the Bible in Genesis was a place where God touched Jacob and his hip went out of joint and he limped from that day forward. But I, I can just see when he was walking back to his wife, what, Jacob, what's going on? He goes, no, 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 no. My name's not Jacob anymore. It's Israel. And God gave him that limp, I think, to remind him. I think God gave um, Isaac, a boy named Laughter, as a reminder of God's goodness and that God's bigger than your sarcasm of God when he named his name Laughter. Well, he goes on and he says this. 
As for Ishmael, God didn't forget him either. I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly, and he will beget 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. And truly, he did, just as God said. But my covenant shall be established with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Set the time. A year from now, you're going to have a child named Isaac from your first wife, Sarah. Wow. That's incredible. God not only told me he was going to have a son, told him when he was going to have it. Only God knows the future, friends. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all who were born in his house, and all who were brought, bought with money, every male among the men of Abram, his house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day as God had said to him. And by the way, he did it that day, unlike Moses. See, this is kind of important. You say, well, why is that? Well, you know, oftentimes when the Sanhedrin, the the religious Pharisees of the day, would chide with Jesus, they would say things like, our father Abraham, or they would say, Moses taught us, not realizing that Moses as well as Abraham, had many flaws in their life. And in some way, they were holding them up as a standard, forgetting the shortcomings that they had. You see, their criticism of Jesus was completely unfounded. When you really look at the characters of Abraham and Moses. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying God uses us in spite of ourselves. And God will endeavor to work with an individual forever if you are willing to have God work with you. He will make that covenant, just like he did with Abraham, with you today through Jesus Christ. That's the way God works. And so oftentimes we think, well, I'm not good enough. The truth of the matter is, you're not. Neither am I, nor have I ever met anybody who is, including Abraham and Moses, in spite of what the Pharisees thought. But God's good. And God is greater than our shortcomings, the things that we've done wrong. And we see then how God used Abraham, how God used Moses, how God used David. You see, because God is greater than what we failed in. Are you tired of failing? Are you tired of failing and having no one there to scrape the pieces up and put you on your feet again and get you going? That's what God does. See, that's the God that we serve. Religions of the world all somehow tell you how to get right with God. Go burn incense sticks, sell flowers in airports. Hey, I got some way to get on the good side of God. But only the Bible tells us that God fixes us. He restores us. You need to be restored like an old antique car out in the desert to make it all pretty and shiny and new again. You need to be restored. That's what God does. So the Bible here tells us, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And that very same day, Abraham was circumcised. His son, Ishmael, and all the men of his house were that were born there or bought with money from a stranger were circumcised with him. Now you know the rest of the story. 
concerning Moses. You see, it was a covenant between God and man, God and Abraham. You see, God wants to restore and bless you. The Bible wants you. God says he wants you to make a covenant with him. But I can't make that covenant. But God can make that covenant towards you and me. The blood covenant. There was shedding of blood in the cutting of the foreskins. There was shedding of blood when God made for Adam and Eve animal skins instead of the fig leaves they'd sewed together. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no covenant. Jesus died on the cross for you. His blood covered your sins. His blood made a covenant that you can be forgiven. Isn't that great to know? And that God's got great things for all of us in in the future? You say, but Mike, I failed. So did they. God still used them. You see, go back. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Fix that thing. God, you have to fix it. I don't even know how to fix it. God says, I'll fix it for you. Are you willing to let me do that? And that's where the power of God comes from. And that's where the restoration of God comes from. It is not in our works, lest any man would boast. But it is on what Jesus did for us, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, Daddy. doesn't matter if you ate a BLT, bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich, or you worship on Sunday or Saturday or any other day. That's not what makes a covenant with God today. They were a foreshadow of the things to come. Circumcision, that's not part of the covenant anymore. Our covenant is in Christ. His blood is what made the covenant for us. Remember that. It's by faith we're saved. And it's by faith we receive the power of God to do what God has commissioned us to do. So being about your father's business, you're going to be blessed. Your life is going to mean something. And then that day when we depart from this world, via the rapture, via coronavirus, via a heart attack or just old age, whatever it might be, you got a great reward for you in heaven. Where God will look at you and say, I'm so glad. You didn't waste your life on yourself. You were so self-focused, you forgot about what I wanted you to do. Now, enter into the rewards that I have for you. The Bible says, he that wins souls is wise. The reward's in heaven. Now, today, you may not care about rewards, but you will be when you get to heaven, and you'll be glad you're getting some. The Bible says the only way we go to heaven is because of what Jesus did for us, that covenant. Religions of the world cannot offer that. All they can do is offer in some in their minds some way you're going to get right with God. But Jesus came to make us right with him. Isn't that great to know? We go to heaven because he's good, not because I'm good. Not because you're good, but because he's good. That's, that's what the gospel is. So being about your father's business, so important. This morning, if you're distant from God, you're like Moses on your way to do something for God, but you forgot the principal things. You need to pray. If you're not a Christian, uh, you're trying to do it all yourself. There's no one there to restore you, no one there to pick you up. You're scared to die. I got some great news for you. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you in heaven. This morning, if you've not received Christ as your Savior, we're going to pray right now, and you can ask Jesus to come into your life and repent 
of the silly way we've lived to somehow define our life so people will think we're cool. You're going to have where God thinks you're cool. That's what's important. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you to come into my life today. I'm sorry for the foolish way that I have lived. And so now, from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. I ask you to make me the best I can be for you. Your blood covered my sins. And so now, Write my name in your book of life that I spend eternity with you forever. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me do what you want me to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Something simple. Jesus said, except a man become as a child, he'll not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Maybe not in understanding, but in simple faith, yes. You see, we just say, okay, God, I take you at your word. I'm going to do what you say, just as Abraham did. And the Bible says we pass from death unto life. The Bible tells us that we need to be baptized, not for salvation, but for an outward testimony of an inward change in your life. So you need to get baptized when you get baptized. Um, If you don't have a Bible, I'll send you one. Got a little book called Time to Grow. I'll just send it to you. Uh, Got a couple of DVDs, God of Wonders, as well as Evolution versus God. These things... uh, are important for new believers because they go, well, what about evolution? What about these answer? A lot of those questions. I'll send those to you. Just contact us here at CSN radio and and I'll get those out to you because uh, again, God wants to do something brand new in your life. Get into a church that teaches the Bible. You can use a little book called uh, time to grow as kind of a good blueprint to look for a church. Because it covers all the basic. If, they, if you say, "Well, do you agree with everything in this book?" If they go, "Well, we don't baptize people. We don't. We don't even teach the Bible here." Then you know that ain't the church for you. But you can use that to kind of give you a good statement of faith for your life, and then be around Christians that love you, love God. They're they're going to help you grow. And I know we're kind of all locked down right now, but it won't last forever, and we'll be able to to be around people again soon. But be about your father's business. Share your faith. Well, I don't know the Bible that good. How can I share what God's done for you? Say, hey, I prayed. God forgave my sins. I'm a new person in Christ. Now I live for him instead of living for the world and the stupid things they say I need to do. See, you got a testimony right now. You're a somebody. God made you that. For the rest of you that have carried on in your faith, keep going. We win. I read the book. You're going to make it through. Father, for every person today that listen to this, may your Holy Spirit speak to them, encourage them, bless them. Lord, we anxiously await your return to take us all to heaven with you. We know the world wants a world without you, and they're going to get one once you take your Christians home. And so we ask you now that you would just protect us, keep us safe, keep us healthy, God. Until we get it together again, may you bless and watch over us In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're about out of time. God bless you. I'm so glad you uh, tuned in today. Uh, I think this repeats tonight as well uh, on CSN. I think it's 7 o'clock Mountain Time, so you can uh, hear it again if you need to. But uh, keep reading your Bible. Oh, by the way, if you accepted Christ as your Savior, a good place to read in the Bible, the book of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. First four books of the Bible. Go to the fourth book. Chapter 3, just start reading. 
and pray every day about everything, commit everything to God, read every day, learn your Father's voice. That's going to help you in the days to come. So till we're, till we're together again, may the Lord keep you in his love. God bless you.